0: SciShow Tangents, the lightly competitive knowledge showcase starring some of the geniuses that make the YouTube series SciShow happen. This week, as always, I'm joined by Stefan
1: Chen. Hey. Stefan, have you ever climbed a tree? I'm not a big fan of heights. Mm -hmm. I Like, you know, I've climbed a tree, (laughs) but not like... you know, in a very safe manner. How tall have you gone? I could probably have hung from the branch and still touched the ground at my adult height. I don't know if I was at my adult height at that point. I'm not a climber, you know? Ground is great. <laughs> Low potential energy. Love it. Oh, that could be my tagline too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're also joined by Sam
0: Schultz. Hello. Sam, how many documents is too many documents to have open on my
2: browser? Um, 30. Okay. I'm good then. Okay, I got less than that. And what's your tagline? I hatched out of an egg.
0: Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Sari Riley is also here with us today. Hello. Do you love classic games?
3: Yeah, I think they're all right. I think my idea of a classic game is probably very different from your idea of a classic game. (laughs) What's that supposed to mean? I don't know.
1: (laughs) Pac-Man or something?
3: Yeah, I like Pac-Man, but in my brain, the first games that I remember playing are like, the original Crash Bandicoot or Spyro Mm -hmm. or like Super Mario World 2. So that's Mm -hmm. like classic.
0: Yeah, whereas I'm old enough that classic games are like go. Yeah.
3: (laughs) Like
0: chess. (laughs) (laughs) What's your tagline?
3: Subtly beanie.
0: Good. And my name is Hank Green. My tagline is pectoral fan. Ooh. All right. Every week here in SciShow Tangents, we get together to try to one-up a maze and delight each other with facts about the world. We're playing for glory, but we're also keeping score and awarding sandbox bucks from week to week. We do everything we can to stay on topic, but we're not always great at that. So if the rest of the team deems the tangent unworthy, we will force you to give up one of your sandbox. bucks. So tangent with care. Now, as always, we're gonna introduce this week's topic with the traditional science poem. This week from me, except it's a little less traditional. Mm-hmm. I have created a poem that is collaborative. Whoa. And so I'm going to say something and you are going to tell me what the word is. So for example, I'm going to say the science of designing marks on the skin left after an injury is scar architecture.
2: Oh, this is gonna be really hard. <laughs> do you, get the,
0: do you get the do you get it? The oh format? My God. Yeah. All right. The science of golfing well, but not too well. Parkitecture. Parkitecture. <laughs> that's correct. The science of designing oceans, but in Spanish.
3: Markitecture. Oh, Sarah's oh. just gonna
0: kill the whole one. <laughs> <laughs> the art of designing sticky black hydrocarbon leavings.
2: Tarkitecture.
0: T'ar- yeah. Oh, is. The science of designing a Russian king. Architecture. The science of saying goodbye, but in French. Au Au revoir, revoir. architecture. Architecture. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The science of designing six stringed musical instruments. Guitar architecture. architecture. Mm, That's fun to say. The art and science of designing giant balls of hydrogen and helium undergoing fusion reactions. Star architecture. The science of designing fish eggs. Roe architecture. No! Caviar architecture! (laughs) All right, the last two are the hardest ones. The art and science of designing the Asian nation between Thailand and Bangladesh.
3: Myanmar architecture.
0: (laughs) And finally, the science of designing overly waxed structured
2: mustaches. Wait, wait. Handlebar architecture.
0: Yeah. Uh, Good job, Sam. The topic for today's episode of SciShow Tangents is architecture, which is the art and science of designing buildings.
3: (laughs) Sari, what is architecture? Well, it's the art or science of (laughs) designing (laughs) buildings and other physical structures. (laughs)
0: Okay. Okay. I guess other physical structures does make it seem kind of like architecture is anything because other physical structures includes all objects.
3: Yeah, I yeah. don't know where the lines are between architecture and engineering. I feel like mm-hmm. they overlap in a lot of places.
1: Right. If you are not meant to go inside the thing as a human. No. If it's just like a thing that people, it's just like an object,
0: a statue. Yeah. Like a really big one. Can you go inside the St. Louis Arch? No.
2: Right? Yeah, there's probably some kind of door in there to do something. <laughs> <laughs> You're probably not supposed to go in there if you don't work for the arch, though.
0: I don't know. Uh, to me, it feels. It feels like architecture should be a thing that people are designed to go inside of. Hmm. Or even, no, not, not necessarily live in. Because like a subway station is architecture. Sure. But a subway yeah. tunnel isn't.
3: It has to be yeah. architecture. Someone built it with a design in yeah. mind and a function in mind. That feels like it's right. architecture.
2: So like designing a car is not architecture, though. That is
1: engineering, right? Right. Okay. A, a car is not a structure,
3: though. But
0: like, some of them like are. Bridges. What about a Winnebago? <laughs> I don't uh, really hope Roman Mars does
2: not listen to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> that would be very embarrassed. Well, I'd like to see him try to answer all of our questions. I bet he couldn't do it. Yeah,
0: I actually interviewed him for his book release, and I was like, "So, where is the line between engineering, design, and art?" And he was like, "I don't know." <laughs> so, <laughs> so, I think that we're, I think that we're good knowing that this is definitely going to be one of the fuzzier ones out there. I mean, but. Yeah. We have a vague idea of what architecture is, but I do not know where this word comes from because mm-hmm. among all of my parkitecture, sharkitecture, I didn't do sharkitecture. <laughs> that would be great. Too. <laughs> uh, I didn't actually look up what where this word comes from.
3: So it comes from the Greek architecton, which means a master builder oh. or a director of works. Oh, okay. From yeah. the two parts, arch or "archi," which means chief. I guess that Makes sense. Mm -hmm. It's like chief Mm -hmm. or principal,
0: like the arch nemesis.
3: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then tecton means builder or carpenter, Mm -hmm. and that traces back to the Proto-Indo-European root tex, which means to weave or to fabricate.
0: Wow! So technology comes from weaving. Yep, that's amazing. (laughs) I mean, that makes sense. Weaving is a very important technology. All right, and now that means it is time for. One of our panelists has prepared three science facts for our education and enjoyment, but only one of them is real. The rest of us have to figure out either by deduction or wild guess, which is the true fact. If we do, we get a sandbuck. If we're tricked, then Stefan, who is our presenter this week, will get the Sambuck. You can play at home at twitter.com slash scishowtangents where we will have a Twitter poll up where you can choose the fact that you think is the true one.
1: Stefan, what are your facts? All right. So these are three climate friendly architectural innovations inspired by nature or directly using nature to make some greener buildings. Number one. Automated blinds inspired by the way pine cones open and close their scales in response to humidity Mm. to cut down on climate control costs for buildings. Number two a wallpaper with algae-filled channels that treats wastewater from the building. What? Since the algae are bioluminescent, it can also be a source of some light or be shaped into some aesthetically pleasing glowing designs. But
2: there's poopy in the wall.
1: Number three, bricks that are infused with a bacteria that generate electricity by pulling moisture out of the air. Whoa. You could build a house using these and each wall would produce enough power to charge a phone. (laughs) Okay. So
0: these are three kinds of uh, nature-inspired, efficient architectural features. So number one, we've got automated blinds inspired by pine cones to cut down on climate control costs. Number two, algae-filled wallpaper that treats wastewater and also glows, or three, bacteria-infused bricks that generate
1: electricity by pulling moisture out of the air. Is there poop in the walls? Yeah. Well, yes, technically there's poop in the walls, <laughs> but like some wastewater is just from like the shower and washing machines. Yeah, that's right. what we call gray water. Yeah, gray water.
0: I mean, I like the idea of glowing bacteria in my walls a little bit, Yeah. but I like the idea of poop in my walls not at all
2: yeah would the wall be squishy what's going on with these walls i don't believe it seems it. like too much <laughs> is going
3: on in these walls yeah they'd be constantly moist they would be glowing <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> well hopefully the, the moisture is all contained within the wall yeah
0: well automated blinds inspired by pine cones so do they respond to humidity or did the pine cones just respond to humidity i believe they both respond to humidity Oh, okay. And do they look like pine cones or do they just look like blinds? They don't look like pine cones. no fun at all. They look more like blinds. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that seems perfectly, but it almost seems like, I mean, that's what, if this is the moment you automate blinds, you're like, we should have those clothes
2: when it gets hot. So right. that there's it's not hot inside the building. What does moisture have to do with anything though?
0: I don't know how what humid like if it's outside humidity or inside humidity, but in general you don't want the inside humidity changing that much. So oh, sure. There shouldn't be that big of a difference for it re- to respond to. Hmm. Pine cones, I think, do open and close based on humidity. And then I don't know how bricks would generate electricity by pulling moisture out of the air. Though I do hear about stuff like this. But there's no like energy. Like just Energy like water going into a brick. I don't think that there's like actual energy being produced that way. So there'd have to be like some other way that the bacteria are producing the energy.
3: Oh yeah, there are definitely bacteria that can generate electricity. I've learned about those before. I don't I don't Mm -hmm. remember what they used to generate it though, but it was like as some sort of metabolic process. Mm -hmm. They like spat out electrical energy. I'm gonna go I'm just
0: gonna I'm gonna go simple and go with the blinds.
3: I'm going to go with the bacteria brick. I'm also
2: going to go with the bacteria brick. And
3: you can vote
0: now at twitter.com slash SciShowTangents before Stefan says it.
2: What is it?
1: It's the blinds. Whoa. Hey. Whoa,
2: whoa. <laughs> I thought uh, moisture was you screwing up the lie when you said they responded to moisture.
1: Oh, but. no, no. So th- that is how the pine cones do it. They have two different, it's lignin and cellulose, I think. They have in different orientations. Uh, I think at the base of their little scales and then when it's humid and rainy out, the cellulose cells will swell up and it causes the little scales to close in so it protects Mm. the seeds. And then when it dries out, they dry out and the thing opens up so the seeds can get out and spread. And so... Inspired by that, this team at the Technical University of Munich was designing these biomimetic drive elements, which are these actuators that sort of do the same thing and they're made of two materials the same way and one is very swelly. <laughs> and so the and the idea is like a lot of the energy that we use to operate buildings goes towards the climate control and if we could automate blinds to respond to the how much light and heat is coming in, we could cut down on these climate control costs. Normally, that kind of a system that operates all these automated blinds would also require a lot of energy itself Mm -hmm. to operate throughout the day. And so having something that didn't require an external power source, but just responded to the actual like humidity in the air could just cut down on those costs. Though I know like this seemed weird to me because obviously you can have like a really dry hot day or a really moist hot day. And so that maybe it wouldn't work in every environment. I don't know. So one of the big issues is scale because a pine cone is much smaller than the size of what you'd need to maneuver these blinds. Mm -hmm. And so if you had these blinds, for it to absorb enough moisture from the air, it would take hours. By that point, like the the weather's changed and like, or the light levels changed. And so it like kind of uses, it defeats the whole purpose of responding to the environment. And they have ideas for fixing that, which I didn't understand, but they mentioned that they could also just use a like hydrogel as the swelling material so that it more readily absorb water. So it does seem like it's based off of humidity. Was there any truth behind the other one, Stefan? Uh, yeah, so the algae one was not a wallpaper uh, and it doesn't treat what <laughs> wastewater. What a terrible idea you had. <laughs> You know, your poop walls. Uh, So this was based on a thing called an algae curtain. And there's these giant, I think, plastic sheets that would be hanging on the side of a building because algae needs sunlight, so it needs to be outside. The sheets have these algae-filled channels And they're open at the bottom and the top. And so the idea is that air will flow in the bottom and go through these channels and come out at the top. But while it's exposed to all the algae in there, the algae can be sucking CO2 and different pollutants from the air. So it can be like a cleaning curtain to help mitigate air pollution. And they are bioluminescent, so you could shape them into like a sign or a advertisement or art or something. And then the bricks, there is like the bacteria infused like concrete and stuff that, that is like self healing. If it mm-hmm. gets, if there's moisture and things like that. And so that was like loosely based on that, but there's apparently some kinds of bacteria produce these protein nanowires. I don't really understand it fully. And like, it seems like we're still trying to figure out how this works right. and like what, what the purpose is, but they're like, they're these little nanowires that are made of proteins and bacteria seem to use them to like move electrons, between different bacteria across like thick biofilms and things. And so if you take those wires and you form them into a film... And one side is exposed to air. The droplets of moisture in the air can end up dissociating into ions, which causes charge to build up on one side of the film. Mm. And so you get this gradient and the electrons start flowing. And yeah, I mean, they pointed out like the way that hydrovoltaic devices like this work is still kind of a mystery, but it does seem to work. And if they link 17 of their devices together, they could power a cell phone. Mm. But it's not like you're not going to build your house out of that kind of a thing. Right. I feel like people talk about these kind of architectural
2: things all the time, but do they ever actually happen? Or am I just not paying attention? Are <laughs> yeah,
0: they? I mean, I think first of all, like we don't see that much like innovative architecture in Montana. So like, yeah, we don't see a lot of it like sort of firsthand. And so I bet, I bet there is a lot. But the second thing that I have heard about sort of the world of building materials is that people are very risk averse. Like they mm-hmm. want to know that this is a thing that's going to last 50 years and when in something new you don't know that and so especially when it comes to actual building materials you don't want to build your Mm -hmm. building out of something that might be less strong 50 years from now than you think it will be because buildings are built pretty specifically (laughs) to stay up that's very (laughs) important next up we're going to take a short break and then it will be time for the fact off SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Factor, whose ready-to-eat meal delivery takes the stress out of meal planning. Stress is stressful. (laughs) I don't like it. (laughs) Life just goes and goes, and it doesn't ever stop going. There's always something else to do. And one of those things is a very important thing called eating dinner. To eat dinner, one must pick out what they want to eat and then go to the grocery store and then <sighs> buy the stuff and then chop the stuff and do other things to this stuff. You have to heat this stuff and put it in water. And then afterwards, you have to,
2: Slash Tangents is brought to you by Rocket Money, a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. I said it before, and I'll say it again. It's a subscription-based world out there. Video games, art-making programs, food delivery services, these things, they all have dang subscription services to subscribe to. And I don't want to cast asp- aspersions? Dispersions?
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. aspersions. One of those. Yeah.
2: But... It does seem like part of the subscription uh, business model is to get you to subscribe to something and then hope that you lose track of everything you subscribe to and just keep forking out 10 bucks a month until the sun Mm -hmm. burns out. And you know what? That's actually a pretty good idea on their part, but it's not such a good idea for your wallet.
0: Your money is like a bean.
2: (laughs) (laughs) You want to plant it in fertile soil. You don't want people carving
0: off pieces of your bean all the time. That bean's not going to grow if there's a constant drain on the bean. bean. That (laughs) is where Rocket Money comes in. With Rocket Money, you can see all your subscriptions in one place, decide what you do and don't want, and cancel things with just a tap. Rocket Money will even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money. And beyond... I mean, beans and beyond subscription canceling, (laughs) rocket money helps you build budgets, track your spending and more. There's all kinds of ways to take care of those beans so they grow into a nice big bean plant. It has over 5 million users and it helps save members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. What would you do with 720 beans?
2: I'd buy more beans. (laughs) Different kind of bean, I guess. A, a cheaper, beans, more bro. of a cheaper type you of bean. You buy cheaper beans with your
0: expensive bean.
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah, until I had an infinite amount of the cheapest bean you could possibly have.
4: <laughs> Subscription <laughs> companies hate this one simple trick because you figured out their plot and now you can use y- that money for beans instead. Stop wasting <laughs> money on things you don't use and start using money. On things like beans. can your unwanted <laughs> subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash tangents. That's rocketmoney.com slash tangents. Rocketmoney.com slash T-A-N-G-E-N-T-S.
0: Welcome back, everybody. Sandbuck totals. Sari and Sam have none. Stefan and Hank have (laughs) two, which means that Stefan is just sort of pulling away with the year total right now.
3: Whoa. Sorry,
0: Sari. We'll see what happens in the Fact Off. Two panelists have brought science facts to present to the others in an attempt to blow our minds. Stefan and I each have a Sandbuck to award to the fact that we like the most. To decide who goes first, we have a trivia question. The nap of how are is a two-room farmstead in Scotland and is likely the oldest stone house still standing in Northern Europe. According to Radiocarbon Dating, when was the nap of Hawar first occupied? Oh, God.
3: Columbus, colonized America, and like the... (laughs) Ooh, oh boy. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's either the 1600s or
2: 1400s. There's some rhyme about it. I don't remember. I know.
3: That, something about sailing really? the ocean blue uh, in something something 1992. 82. Yeah, it
0: ends with a two. <laughs> <laughs> in 1992, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. <laughs>
3: um, the problem is I've is read too many of those Tumblr posts that were like, did you know King Tut and Martin Luther King Jr. existed at the same time? so I'm like history doesn't matter it's all squished together Um, 1,350 A.D. A.D. yes yeah Uh, or C.E. common era
2: Samuel I'll just say it uh, 1349 CE. Oh,
0: you're both very, very, very wrong. 3,700 BCE. That was
2: going to be my next
0: guess. Yeah, Stonehenge is from uh, 3,000 BCE, I think. That would have been a good
3: reference point to know had I known (laughs) (laughs) anything about Stonehenge other than the fact that it's a circle of rocks.
0: Sam, uh, congrats. You get to choose what happens now.
2: I think I want Sari to go first. Okay.
3: Without embarrassing failure of a guess about human history, good thing <laughs> that I focused on architectural marvels in the animal kingdom. So, we usually think of a cool architecture phenomenon or like or construction as being extremely detailed or precise or functional or like grand, like all those opera houses. So, I would argue that the precise combs in beehives and wasp nests that form structure, food storage, or little growth pods for larvae are basically a feat of architecture. Especially because inside the nest where they're building, it's dark. So they can't really see what they're doing as they're like mushing around their materials, their building materials. And in 2001, researchers took a really close, like electron microscope level look at the cells in the nest of the oriental hornet that are housing worker larvae and found what could be a tiny tool that helps them. There is a less than 100 micrometer long crystal at the bottom, top, or center, depending on the orientation of each cell glued there by hornet saliva. And these crystals are similar to ilmenite, which is an iron titanium oxide. That's a pretty common mineral in small quantities around the world. And in lunar rocks, and so hypothetically, the researchers say like around the universe, it's pretty common. It's a weakly magnetic material and heavier than the paper of the wasp's nest. So when they stick it there, it'll hang down and be affected by gravity in a different way. Or if they rattle the nest, it'll be affected differently. So it's possible that the hornets either find these in the dirt Or excrete these crystals to help act like little levels and guide them as they build their nests, allowing them to understand the orientation of their nest relative to Earth's gravity, which is something that we knew about them but didn't know how they achieved. Mm. And I don't think we've discovered any other structural tools like this in other Hymenoptera nest-building species, but maybe they have other tricks, and I just like the idea of little wasp architects having all these tools that we have no idea they're using to make these perfect structures, and we're just like... They got it in them. it's it's like instinct, yeah. And there's probably a lot more science than we think involved in crafting these structures, so they have to go out and find these things.
0: Yeah, that's the thing. We don't know if they search for them, but it seems like you'd be able to figure that out.
3: I don't think anyone has ever seen them like forage for them necessarily. And they've said that it seems like they have the metals inside them to be able to excrete it, but we haven't seen them excrete Uh, it either. hmm. So it's just like, we know it's the composition of this crystal and we know that it's stuck to the top of every cell with what we think is wasp saliva because there's some carbon involved.
0: How big are these things?
3: Very, very small. So a cell in a wasp nest is like a centimeter across maybe in diameter, maybe even or slightly smaller than that. The crystal is less than 100 micrometers across.
2: Sam, what do you have for us? Hey, when you think of animals that build homes together... You probably think of ants, bees, beavers, humans, etc. Mm-hmm. Well, get ready to add a new, much more wet animal to that list. <laughs> neo obscurus are two inch-ish long zebra-striped fish that live in a single lake, Lake Tanganyika in Zambia. They live at the bottom of the lake and they dig themselves little burrows under rocks. And while these fish can and occasionally do live solitary lives, excavating and maintaining their own burrows, many of them live in a way that is decidedly unfish-like. So in Obscurus, commonly live in groups of up to 10 fish, one breeding female and a crew of what Researchers call assistant fish, which are usually siblings or cousins of the breeding female. These groups also live in burrows at the bottom of the lake, but instead of just one little burrow, they work together to dig themselves a much bigger home than they could by themselves. And once their home is dug, the breeding female tends to its eggs and its young and basically never leaves the burrow again. And the assistant fish spend their time scaring away predators and tending to the cave by taking out sand and anything else that like drifts into it. But there is one thing that they want to drift into their home, and that is shrimp time. <laughs> So shrimp in the lake, like I (laughs) talked about in the ghost episode, they feed at night in the rest of the lake. And then at night, they all swim down to the bottom of the lake and hide in the rocks. Uh, And if they happen to hide in a crevice dug by an in Obscurus, they become a free and easy meal. So research performed in 2018 found that much like social spiders that weave webs together to catch more and bigger prey in Obscurus groups with more helpers and bigger burrows end up having more shrimp wander into their homes, meaning more food for everybody, even though researchers found evidence that the breeding female and her children probably eat most of the food. The helpers had a little bit of food. And the breeding females that lived in bigger groups with bigger homes and more food ended up having more successful offspring. So while I think there are other fish that build nests together, I'm not sure about this. I looked into it a little bit. I could have sworn there were, but I couldn't find any more that did this is the first known instance of fish working together to build a trap Hmm, hmm. and the trap just also happens to be their house they live in the trap just like spiders do (laughs) and there are other fish that work together like groupers and eels but scientists think that it's more likely that groupers just learned that eels scare away the fish that they want to eat as they're hunting for the fish that they're eating so this is the first time that fish have been found to like work together to build something and live communally like this
3: do you know how Mm. the fish like dug out their homes? Do they use their fins and like dig or do they like eat dirt and spit it out?
2: I'm pretty sure they use their mouths Mm. because they can clean the eggs too and they use their mouths to clean the eggs so I think they just Put dirt in their mouths.
3: That's fun. That feels like a very fish way to build a home.
2: <laughs> seems, oh. seems like the right way to do it. They pretty yes. much only have mouths.
3: Yeah. Uh.
0: <laughs> All right. So we have Sari with Oriental Hornets using tiny crystals as tools to guide nest construction or with Sam species of fish working together to build food traps in their collective home. I like them both. Stefan, do you know what you're going to vote for?
1: I guess so. All right.
0: Three, two, one... Sari. Sari. Oh.
1: oh.
0: Yeah, I like that they're mystery crystals.
1: It just reminds me of, like, a level, <laughs> which is, like, the ultimate tool for me because I don't know mm. how to do anything, but I'm like, I can hold a level up to a wall, and I'm like, yeah, like, I can feel like <sighs> I'm doing so, something. I know how this one works. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and now it's time for Ask the
0: Science Couch. We've got some listener questions for our couch of finely honed scientific minds. This One is from at RadagastWiz. The creation and use of concrete is terrible for the environment in a lot of ways. Are there any innovations on the way that could make a real difference? Mm. Um, Yes, but as we discussed earlier, we are very nervous about new building materials because Mm. we want our buildings to
2: not fall over. Why is it bad for the environment?
3: So it is mostly because of the way that the materials for concrete are harvested Mm. and the way that they're processed. So... Usually if we look at a sidewalk, people use the terms cement and concrete interchangeably, but it's concrete uh, is the material that is actually used and cement is a part of concrete. So cement is made of calcium and silica rich materials like limestone or clay, and it's like a binding agent, but on its own, it's not super sturdy. And so then when you add in gravel and other things to make it goopier and more structurally stable, that's concrete. But as you do that, a lot of like dust gets mixed up and that can like cause respiratory problems. It requires quarrying, which causes airborne pollution. It needs a lot of energy. You need a lot of equipment. To do like harvest the minerals. And so concrete is the most widely used man-made material in the world. And it is responsible for, according to several sites, somewhere between 5 and 8% of the world's carbon dioxide emissions. So it's below fossil fuels and other energy sources, but it's like pretty high up there <laughs> for like one specific manufacturing process.
0: I had it in my head that concrete dries because that's what we say. Like you wait for the concrete to dry. Concrete doesn't dry. Concrete undergoes a chemical reaction and a byproduct of that chemical reaction is carbon dioxide, gas. Mm. So that's one of the things that we've looked at is whether we can capture CO2 and turn that into some of the stuff that is used in concrete so that when the CO2 is re-released, that it's at least neutral with whatever it is we captured. So there are different pieces of concrete that we think could be made from systems that sort of suck CO2 out of the air and Mm -hmm. make, you know, one of the ingredients of concrete out of it. We think could be made or we actually do that? People have done it, but is it as good as concrete is? Uh Because this is one thing that until you ask the question, you do not realize the different ingredients that go into concrete are very different from place to place and they make different qualities of concrete, (laughs) different kinds, different looks, different feels, different strengths. So you have to have like really specific ingredients if you want really specific outcomes,
3: So in addition to the idea of trying to make it more carbon neutral in the emissions, I think people are also experimenting with different waste products and mixing those into concrete, but still running into those same problems of like, what are the properties of this material relative to others? So there's things Mm -hmm. like ashcrete, which is using powder that is a byproduct of burning coal and and mixing that into concrete or timbercrete, which is mixing sawdust and concrete together. Basically, all the puns on architecture that Hank did at the beginning of the episode, you can do with concrete, too. You just say, like, <laughs> noun-crete, and then that's a new type of concrete, and you've invented it.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> People-crete. Oh, no, no, no don't invent that one. <laughs> <No>. crete <Soylent-crete. laughs> If
0: you want to ask your questions to the Science Couch, follow us on Twitter, at SciShowTangents, where we'll tweet out topics for upcoming episodes every week. Thank you to at at Mini Marker 3 and everybody else who tweeted us your questions for this episode, final scores! It's a three-way tie, which means that Sari and Stefan are still very close together. Sari is just two points behind Stefan, and I am now not in last! <laughs> Whoa. If you like this show and you want to help us out, it's easy to do that. You can leave us a review wherever you listen. It's super helpful and it helps us know what you like about the show. Second, if you want to show your love for SciShow Tangents, just tell, tell people about us! us. If you like goofy science stuff and poetry, which I assume you do since you're listening to SciShow Tangents, at dftba.com SciShow, you can find our brand new SciShow Magnetic Poetry Set. It's full of sciency words curated by the whole SciShow team. Words like mitochondria, and supermassive, and quantum. And it even contains some classic tangents goofs, like butt is legs. Thank you for joining us. I've been Hank Green. I've been Sari Riley. I've been Stefan Chin. And I've been Sam Schultz. SciShow Tangents is a co-production of Complexly and the wonderful team at WNY Studios. It's created by all of us and produced by Caitlin Hoffmeister and Sam Schultz, who edits a lot of these episodes along with Haruka Matsushima. Our social media organizer is Paola garcia Prieto. Our editorial assistant is Debuki Chakravarti. Our sound design is by Joseph Tunametish, and we couldn't make any of this without our patrons on Patreon. Thank you, and remember, the mind is not a vessel to be filled, but a fire to be lighted. One more thing. In August, an architecture firm in Japan installed a new type of public restroom in two parks. The restrooms have transparent walls so you can see into them from the outside, but only when they are unlocked. Once someone enters and locks the doors, the walls become opaque so that you can have some privacy. According to the (laughs) architecture firm's statement, the design helps you deal with two big sources of stress when using a public restroom, checking the cleanliness and whether anyone is using it. The transparent restroom is just one design that come out of the Tokyo Toilet Project, which aims to challenge the image of public restrooms as gross and inaccessible.
1: Wow. Oh, uh, it's just a nice fact. Yeah. Not the usual horrifying butt fact. <laughs> you
3: know someone's going to not quite lock the door. Oh. It's going to be very embarrassing.
1: Well, but then you can see out. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> You'll know.
0: You know if you did it right. Yeah. I do like the idea that I know what I'm getting into. Because I I do not like to walk into a bathroom and be surprised.
1: Sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.